Hello, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. This week, I am speaking with Dr. Altalisha Taylor. She is a family medicine resident, currently finishing up residency and preparing to transition into a sports medicine fellowship. She talks about this incredible field of family medicine, what it means to be attending an opposed program versus an unopposed program, and some of the options you have with regards to your practice. Later on in the episode, we talk about her blog, Career Money Moves, and what got her inspired to reach out and start helping other young healthcare professionals, young physicians get a head start uh, with their finances and a lot of other advice that we can learn and grow from. Dr. Taylor has been featured on multiple other uh, podcasts, including the White Coat Investor. So excited to dig into some of these topics with her today. Thanks for joining. In June, our programming is going to focus on transitions, transitioning from medical school to residency, from residency to fellowship or attending life. So if you have any questions, visit the website, www.theblackdoctorspodcast.com. There is a section there where we're going to pass the mic to you. You can record your question about transitions and and what advice that you want to hear from myself, as well as a panel that I'm coordinating for the month of June. We'll answer your question live on the air. So check out the website and leave your question for us. This podcast is sponsored by PicMonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, PicMonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. PicMonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With PicMonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, I'm Stephen, host of the Black Doctors Podcast, here to talk about Clove. Clove is a sneaker specifically designed to meet the needs of healthcare professionals. I have a pair and I love how comfortable these shoes are, especially since I'm on my feet all day as an anesthesiologist. These shoes are perfect for the operating room because they are extra grippy and super easy to wipe clean at the end of the day. Purchase any pair of clove shoes and compression socks at checkout. Use the code BDPXCLOVE to get your socks for free. A $22 discount just by listening to the show. The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. I'm Stephen, your host. This week, I'm sitting down with Dr. Altalisha Taylor. She is a family medicine resident in her last year, currently at Emory University. And she's joining us to talk about some very important issues that we'll experience as residents and even soon to be attending physicians' um, finances. Uh, but before we get into that, we'll definitely learn a little bit more about Dr. Taylor and her pathway into family medicine. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So Dr. Taylor, first of all, how is Atlanta these days? Uh, it's amazing. Um, I love Atlanta. You know, this has been a great year for us. Braves, the Georgia Bulldogs won. So we are just on cloud nine. Um, <laughs> I'm a lover of Atlanta. So things are great over here where I am. So... Can you share with us your pathway? I was looking at your resume on LinkedIn and you've been a little bit everywhere. Uh, I think you started out at Duke. 
Yes, yes, go Blue Devils. I can't believe it's Coach K's last year um, for all my sports fans. But yes, that's where I went to undergrad. And what do you uh, study there? Yeah, so I was pre-med, like a lot of folks in medicine, but um, my advisor at the time advised me to not uh, major in a science. And she thought that I had the rest of my life to study medicine and thought that I should explore other interests. And so because of that sage advice, I ended up choosing a major in public policy. And for those who aren't aware, public policy is like a blend between poli-sci, psychology, and economics. Um, And so that's what I studied at Duke um, and you know, for practical purposes, public policy kind of teaches you how to solve real world problems. Um, and so for example, one of our assignments would be like, how do you make social security viable and how do you fix healthcare in America? And so those kind of real world problems um, are the things that I studied at Duke. I thought it was a fantastic experience, gave me a glimpse into health policy. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty high level for folks still in undergrad. Um, <laughs> That's awesome, and, and clearly it's helped you in the in your uh, latter career. Yeah, absolutely. I think it laid the groundwork for a lot of things. Number one, allowing me to take some econ classes that I think a lot of pre meds probably don't uh, take, and so it gave me a glimpse into finances at an early stage, which I'm extremely grateful for. Because of that um, experience, I actually joined the financial educational partnership that Duke had. So at the time that I was an undergrad, there was a mission at Duke to get more females and more Black and Hispanic people on Wall Street. And so I had actually joined that program. And so that meant that I got mentors on Wall Street and I got this in-depth look into investing um, and finance that a lot of other people didn't get. And I'm, I'm immensely grateful for that because I feel like it was that background that kind of laid the foundation for some of my passions going forward. Yeah. And and from Duke, you moved up to the DMV. You attended George Washington University where you earned a master's in public health degree. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So when I graduated from Duke, I thought I was going to change the world. <laughs> um, we're kind of brainwashed, if you will, to believe that we could do anything at the age of 22, which um, <laughs> sounds a little unrealistic now, but that is what I thought back then that I was going to change the world. And the public policy hub of America is Washington, D.C. And so that's why I moved there. I actually worked in health policy for a year at the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. So I was working in their health policy department right when President Obama was opening the healthcare exchanges and there was this huge push um, on healthcare. And so it was an interesting time to be working there. But I, I worked there for a year. And then that second year, I got my master's in public health, as you said, at George Washington. And I also spent a year working in private equity. And next came medical school. Yes, I figured, you know, if I'm ever going to go to medical school, now is the time. Um, And I should say that all of my colleagues thought I was crazy. They were like, what? You're going to leave this finance job to take out debt and be a doctor? Um, (laughs) Which is crazy, I guess. But I had always had this passion for medicine. I knew that it was something that I wanted to do. And, you know, public policy was interesting, but it didn't give me the opportunity to help people on an individual basis. And I also was a bit frustrated by the policy world. It took forever to get change done. And oftentimes, even if you thought of a good solution, it had to pass Congress. So that meant that you had to get feedback and buy-in from Democrats and Republicans, which, as you know, can be (laughs) very uh, (laughs) difficult to do. And I had liked medicine and I thought, oh, my goodness, if I'm going to go, now is the time. And so, yes, I left my job in D.C. and I moved back to Florida, where I'm from originally, and went to med school. Yeah. So coming uh, through medical school at some point, you settle 
and decide on a specialty. So what made you or what drew you rather to family medicine? So that's actually an interesting story. And that really laid the groundwork for a lot of the things that I'm doing now. I knew that I wanted to do sports medicine, which I'm going to do a sports medicine fellowship. So that's kind of coming together. But I knew that I wanted to do sports medicine. And the interesting thing about sports medicine is you can kind of get there from a lot of different routes. The first decision is, do you want to do the surgery route and go through orthopedic surgery? But if you decide like I did that you're kind of want to going to go through the primary care route, like if you don't want to do surgery, there's a lot of different specialties that you can go through to get to that sports medicine fellowship at the end of the road. Um, and so I was really choosing between family medicine, emergency medicine, PM&R, internal medicine, pediatrics. There's a lot of different ways that you can get to sports medicine. And it was interesting because I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was sitting on my couch and I was talking to my dad. Him and I are very close. I was talking to my dad and I was like, dad, I think I want to go into family medicine. <laughs> and I was like having heart palpitations as I was deciding this. I was one of those people in med school that kind of liked all of my rotations. So I had liked everything. Um, yeah. And I felt like family medicine fit more with my personality. If you couldn't already tell, I talk a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm very extroverted. And I was like, man, I really like family medicine. I like that I get to do a little bit of everything. Um, I like the fact that it's only three years. The majority of sports medicine fellowships are open to people who do family medicine. And so it was just like an easier route or, or more efficient route to get to sports medicine. But I remember being terrified. And it wasn't because I didn't like family medicine. It was because I felt like family medicine was kind of treated like the redheaded stepchild of medicine. Like right. <laughs> people were kind of like, oh, you're smart. You're a great person. Like, what are you doing going into family medicine? So there was that kind of stigma around the field. And then I had student loans and I thought, oh my goodness, I just took out six figure student loan debt. And now I'm going to go into one of the lowest paid specialties. Like, oh my goodness, like, what am I doing? Have I just, <laughs> am I making the biggest mistake of my life? And so I was terrified, honestly. And it was interesting because my father being the wise man that he is was like, Alicia, at some point you have to define success for yourself. At some point you have to pick what makes you happy. And if money is your biggest worry, if money is the thing that concerns you the most, which given my student loan debt was one of the things that concerned me the most, mm -hmm. he was like, you know, I can teach you how to invest. You can learn how to invest. You can learn how to craft the life that you desire. And that advice has stuck with me to this day. It's that advice that gave me this passion for personal finance. It's that advice that's made me so gung-ho about about doctor wellness through financial literacy. It's that advice that sparked me to you know, start a finance blog, to start a finance Facebook group, to start speaking on personal finance. Um, and it's been an amazing ride thus far, but that is my long-winded story <laughs> um, of why I went into family medicine. <laughs> yeah, so how have you enjoyed residency thus far? Well, I mean, enjoyed residency is a bit of a... <laughs> setting me up for failure. My boss, if you're listening to this, I do love my job. Um, but uh, <laughs> enjoyed residency is very interesting wording. I see you trying to set me up and I'm not going to fall for it. I'm not. Oh, um, <laughs> um, but in, in terms of the specialty of family medicine, <laughs> I really do like it. Um, 
there are times, you know, like those nights that I'm called into the hospital to deliver a baby when I'm going into sports medicine that I think, ooh, <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, on a day-to-day basis, I really like it. I love being able to connect with patients. I love this camaraderie and this like long-term r- relationship that I get to build with my patients. I love seeing kids in the hospital. I love being able to get the stories from those who are my seniors. And so it's been an amazing ride, honestly. Um, and Atlanta has been an amazing place. I'm at Emory and everyone's experience is different, but mine has been great. I have been able to join a lot of the committees at Emory. I helped develop a diversity, equity, inclusion curriculum at Emory. I've been involved in the family medicine programs and leadership teams within the state and within um, other places in the country. And so it's just been amazing. I feel like I've been able to do a lot of the things that I wanted to do, which is a little bit of public health, a little bit of health policy, a little bit of sports medicine, a little bit of personal finance. And so honestly, like my time through residency has not been that bad, especially when I compare it to other folks. There are obviously the days where I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm counting down the days until I'm done with training. <laughs> but yeah. overall, I really do not complain. <laughs> awesome. That's good to hear. So Dr. Taylor, as a family medicine resident, and I remember back in medical school, I heard uh, that there's two types of programs, opposed or unopposed for family medicine. Does that, did I use the right terminology? And can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I think um, historically there's been, like, like you said, two kinds of family medicine programs. So the opposed programs are usually considered the programs that are more academic institutions. Um, and the unopposed pro- uh, programs are usually th- those that are more community-based programs. And the difference in scope is that back in the day, your family medicine doctor would do everything. So they would do surgery and they would deliver a bunch of babies and they would see the elderly, almost like they would see everyone in the family. Nowadays, medicine has gotten so much more specialized that depending on the family medicine training program that you enter, you may or may not get that same kind of training. For example, all family medicine doctors have to do at least one rotation in general surgery, right? Um, but if you're at an unopposed program, you may be doing, you know, a colonoscopy on somebody, right? Which is almost like unheard of in an academic institution. Usually that's kind of left up to the GI fellows. And so that's, that's one way you might actually be learning the ins and outs of surgery at an unopposed program. You might not only be delivering a baby, you might also be doing hmm. um, And so really just, there's a broader scope. And you might say to yourself, okay, if you can learn all of those skills as a family medicine doctor in an unopposed program, why would anyone choose an opposed program? And the, the, the answer is different for a lot of folks. But for me specifically, I knew that I was going to do a sports medicine fellowship. So me learning how to do a C-section had limited utility, if that makes sense. Uh, another thing is that a lot of folks want to practice in the city. And the general take is that if you're going to practice in a major city, like I'm in Atlanta, then chances are slim that you're actually going to be doing a surgery. Chances are slim that you're actually going to be doing a colonoscopy. And so it's like, if you have limited time and training, do you want to spend that time and training learning a skill that you're never going to use again? And so the 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 perk, I'm, in my view, of a more opposed program is that you get more elective time. You can kind of uh, tailor the training to what you want. So I want to do sports medicine. And so because of that, I was able to do a lot more rotations in sports medicine, learn some MSK ultrasound, learn some different kinds of procedures. Um, It gave me a chance to delve a little bit more into research. I like health policy. So I went to DC and did a health policy project at the Robert Graham Center. Um, I'm doing a fellowship with ABCUs. I get to do media stuff. And so 
you know, I could spend that time learning skills that I'll never use again, or I could spend that time and kind of um, craft and, and tailor the training to what I would like. Now, this is just my personal experience at my programs. I can't speak for everyone, but that's kind of my general take. In terms of the kind of program that I'm at, I'm at Emory, um, and it's pretty interesting. We work at two hospitals. One hospital, we're kind of like the only residents, and the other hospital, there are a ton of residents. And so we get this kind of hybrid model that I don't think you see at most places, but that's a little bit about you know our training <laughs> at Emory. No, thanks for sharing. And we'll definitely uh, stay tuned as you proceed on to this family or this uh, sports medicine fellowship and learn all these cool new things and, and really tailor the future of your career. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm going out to L.A. So it's a change for me. I mean, I'm a Florida girl, so I'm used to sunny weather, but um, I'm also an East Coast girl. And so going out to the West Coast, if any of your listeners have any tips, y'all DM me, message me like I need all the tips. But I'm excited. I get to work at UCLA with the Bruins. I get to work with the Lakers. I get to work with the Dodgers. So it's going to be an exciting time. So Dr. Taylor, in addition to your passion for healthcare disparities, for health policy and family medicine, you're also passionate about investing. You shared a little bit how your dad kind of put that bug in your ear. In addition to everything that you've been doing for your career, you also are the author of a blog. You have this passion for investing that you channeled into career money moves and is specifically for busy young professionals who know that we need to learn something about money management, but don't have the time to read complicated finance books, which is me. For <laughs> <laughs> So talk to us about this uh, blog that you, you run. Yeah. So it was interesting. I mean, I had some finance knowledge just from my, my days at Duke and my, my time in private equity. But it was really when I you know chose family medicine that I really sort of delving into personal finance, which I believe is a little bit different from like institutional finance. But yes, I am a firm believer that one of the keys to physician wellness is financial literacy, because the best thing that money can buy is control over your time. And as a resident who does not have control over my time, <laughs> that is something that I truly value. And so my goal in life is to just set every doctor up to the point where you're able to live the life that you desire, craft the life that you want. And so it's not necessarily about having a set dollar amount. It's about living the life that you want. And I believe that one of the keys to that is financial literacy. And that is what a lot of the blogs are about. So it's about some of these key things. I think when you are a, a doctor in training, as am I, or maybe a new attending, there are a few core topics that are on the forefront of your mind. One of those is student loans, right? What the heck do I do with my student loans? Oh my goodness, the payment is too much for me to afford. Should I go for public service loan forgiveness or not? What happens when I get married and my spouse has student loans? What the heck should I do about taxes? That's a, that's a reality that hits a lot of doctors when they transition into attending hood. And so those are a lot of the topics that I'm talking about, you know, writing blogs about, hey, in general, these are the four income driven repays. In general, the, the, this is why, you know, one doctor might choose repay versus another might choose pay as you earn versus another might choose, you know, income based repayment. In general, this is how public service loans, this is how you sign up for the program. And so that's a little bit about, you know, student loans. I talk a little bit about disability insurance and my experience getting it. I feel like it's something that as doctors, we're constantly emailed about, oh, do you have disability insurance? Oh, do you have life insurance? And so helping doctors really discern what is it that I really need versus what is it just someone's trying to sell me something to make a profit? What are the things that I look for in a good product versus what are the, some of the things that I need to ignore? What are some of the red flags? 
I think a big one is how do I invest? You know, no one really likes the idea of a budget, but everybody likes the idea of building wealth and having money. And so it's oh, like, yeah. okay, <laughs> as a resident, how do I increase my income? Cause I'm broke. And then when I become attending and I have money, how the heck do I invest it so that I can live the life that I want? And so it's really centered around helping folks answer some of those core questions. And through the blog, I'm able to do a deep dive on each of those topics. So you can search the blog and search taxes or search the blog and search investing and, and find some key um, things there and some key information there that will kind of help you along your journey. Um, so that's what the blog is for. It, I started it because I kept being asked a lot of the same questions from my med school classmates at the time. And I thought, I'm gonna just write this down for y'all. <laughs> and yeah. so that's kind of how the blog was born. Um, since that time, it's it's expanded. I mean, I was a content writer for Doximity before they went public. And so that was a cool opportunity. I published a lot on Kevin MD, White Coat Investor. I spoke at the White Coat Investor Conference this past year, created our Emory personal finance guide for residents and fellows that's on the GME website. Um, I've spoken for a lot of different doctor groups. And so it's really kind of expanded from there. But my core belief is just that I want doctors to have control over their time. And I believe that one of the key ways to do that is to have money and have financial literacy. And so kind of helping doctors get to that point where they feel confident in their decisions is one of my core passions. Wow. A lot to unpack there. First of all, I know. Look at the I have a lot. I'm right. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all great. Stuff. I'm looking at the website right now. Careermoneymoves.com is the website. And it's incredible that you have taken all of these complex, boring topics and <laughs> actually fleshed them out and made them easy to digest. How long have you had the blog? Um, for a little over three years now. Wow. So let me ask you this. When you decided, you said, I'm going to start this blog. Like, how did you get that off the ground? Yeah. So that's a really good question. I think sometimes we, um, I focus too much on the big details and, or the big, you know, picture and a lot of people want to know the nitty gritty. So, um, I knew that I wanted to start a blog. I called my friend who was fantastic at designing websites. She worked in San Francisco and I said, Hey, can you, can you design a website for me? And she was like asking me all these questions that I didn't know the answers to. Like, do you want WordPress? Do you want Squarespace? So, um, <laughs> I, I listed her help and how I started the blog was you first need a domain name. So you need like a website name and you need to make sure that no one else already owns it. Um, and a lot of people use godaddy.com. That's where you can like search in there and see if someone has the website name that you want. And so I bought, if you will, the domain name, which was career money moves. And then once you have a domain name, you need a place to host the website. And you can go to these website hosting platforms like Squarespace or like WordPress. We use Squarespace, but I'm sure, I mean, a lot of people have used a lot of other like blog website hosting platforms. They have templates that you can use. I happen to have a friend in tech, multiple friends in tech. And so they help design my website, but you know, they have templates that you can use. Um, and then once you set up the template, you can kind of essentially go live if that makes sense. Um, and so each week I write a blog, I just write it in word, you know, um, and then I upload it onto the website. Um, and so it's pretty simple, but that's kind of how I started the blog. It was really just as easy as buying a domain name, getting a website launched on the internet <laughs> and just writing the blogs consistently. Yeah. I think, uh, it's easy to look at such an incredible product the end design, like, oh my God, she's done it for three years. And people don't realize that three years ago, you started from scratch and you had dedication and commitment and you, you know, grew it to where it is today. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm tech challenged as we were talking about before this podcast. Like I struggle <laughs> a lot with, I have a lot of strengths. Technology is not one of them. Um, and so <laughs> I, I definitely needed to lean on a friend. And so, you know, don't be ashamed if you need to lean on a friend, but I knew that I wanted to start a blog. I had friends who wanted to write books. I had friends who wanted to make money in other ways, but I knew that I wanted to start a blog, which, you know, if I could do it again, I probably, <laughs> I probably would have started a podcast because I feel like podcasting is a new blogging now. I mean, <laughs> not a lot of people have time to <laughs> sit down and read what I'm writing, but you know, everybody can listen to someone talk. So, <laughs> you know, on their drive to work at while they're at the gym. So I feel like podcasting is the new blogging. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's how I started my Awesome. And so with the topics, you know, what's been the most popular article that you've written? Ooh, okay. So I've written a ton, but there are a few that come to mind. One was a popular one that I written uh, when I was a med student actually called 12 Reasons Why I Don't Plan to Buy a House. Um, when I hmm. enter residency and that one was, was big, right? Because everybody was like, Oh my goodness, what do you mean? Like, you're going to be a doctor. You have access to capital. Like you don't have to put any money down on a house. Rent's expensive. You're wasting money, quote unquote, on rent. Why don't you buy a house? Um, and so me listing out my 12 reasons why I didn't want to buy a house, I felt like was, was very popular. I published it on Kevin MD as well. And it got like over, you know, 200 shares or something like that. It was, it was pretty popular, but that one was one. Another one was um, nine things I learned when I bought my disability insurance. Um, I feel like disability insurance, as I was saying earlier, was something that a lot of doctors are constantly being sold. And it is a product that I believe doctors need. Like, I think every doctor needs long-term disability insurance. Like, you need a way to insure your income so that if you cannot work, you can still make money. You've invested this much into our education and into our careers. We need to make sure that if something happens to us, that we get paid. So I'm a firm believer in disability insurance. Um, But there were some nuances that I did not know until I had actually bought it myself. Like, what am I actually looking for in policy? How much should I pay? Who should I go to? How do I get the quotes? The fact that as a female, it's more expensive. I didn't know that. The fact that it changes when you buy it in certain states, I didn't know that. And so, you know, just kind of helping people understand, hey, this is why it's more expensive as a female, because females are more likely to take it out. We're more likely to get disabled due to things like pregnancy. And so they charge us more for it. You know, it costs more in certain states because they feel like you're at higher risk of getting injured if you live in a state where people do risky activities like skydiving versus living in a state where people stay home most of the time. And so just helping people understand like, hey, just so you know, (laughs) these are some nuances when it comes to this product that you should probably keep in mind. And so that one was pretty popular. I think I wrote an article um, that, that, that people liked called like, I think three reasons why the rich get richer. Um, And so Mm -hmm. helping people if you're trying to build wealth, um, then finding a way to decrease your taxes is key. Finding a way to start a business is key. Real estate investing is key. So I talked a little bit about that. And so just giving folks some insights. I mean, I could talk all day about this. You just stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you caught my ear when you started talking about ev- evading taxes. You're going to have us in there like, oh, uh, okay, okay. <laughs> Um, I should mention that my dad's an auditor. And so him and I kind of, oh. uh, <laughs> right. He's kind of the person that like catches companies who, who are not paying taxes versus I'm the one that is like trying to minimize my taxes. So it's an interesting conversation oh, at family it. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, these are some incredible articles for people to get started. Um, 12 reasons why you don't plan to buy a house. Huge question for residents and young physicians fresh out of training as well as disability insurance. 
huge issues. And you can read these articles on the careermoneymoves.com blog. In addition to the blog, though, tell us about this Facebook group, uh, Financial Grand Rounds. Yeah, so I... <clears throat> I was uh, speaking at the Wipeout Investor Conference and had gotten this idea to basically have this way for residents to engage with one another. And it's an idea that I toyed with for a little bit. Um, it started with the fact that, I was a, that I'm a senior resident at Emory. And at Emory, it was unclear if we were going to be able to keep our Emory email addresses. And I thought, oh my goodness, I would love to have a way to connect with other doctors even when I finish my training. And I thought, I don't want to just connect with them in general. Like I want there to be like a central theme. Like I feel like residents and fellows and new attendings should be able to communicate with each other and talk about some of these core financial issues like disability insurance and moving and buying a house and getting a physician mortgage and finding the right contract and getting the right job and making sure you're getting paid enough. And so I was like, I want to create a way for us to engage. Um, the blog is, is great, but it's not necessarily an interactive forum. And I felt like there were a lot of doctors on Facebook who were more willing to engage. And so a couple months ago, I started the Financial Grand Rounds Facebook group. It's just kind of getting off the ground, but it's something that I'm really passionate about because I'm like, man, if we could engage with one another, if we could empower each other with a lot of this information and have it not just be like me telling folks what I know, but, you know, somebody also talking about their experience buying a house and someone else talking about their experience getting a mortgage and what that was like, what all of those details entailed, I think would be super cool. You know, just kind of get some feedback from different people that are your peers that you can trust outside of the financial professional ram. You know, sometimes I feel like financial advisors don't always have our best interest at heart. And that's not to, you know, disparage all financial advisors. I'm just saying that sometimes our interests don't align. And so being able to get some advice from someone who's just like you, being able to get some advice, some advice from someone who is a physician, who knows what you're going through, who's not, who doesn't have any incentive to tell you the wrong thing. Um, but you can gather another opinion from someone that um, you can relate to, I think is really valuable. And so that was the purpose of the Facebook group. Um, we'll see as it continues to grow. I'm interested to, to see what it grows into. But yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that project. Yeah, well, fantastic. Dr. Taylor, as we start to wrap up, uh, we're not giving financial advice, right? But there's disclaimer out there. But if you were finishing up medical school, starting residency this summer, what are the three things that you would make sure that you did with regards to finances? Yeah. If I were a medical student graduating this summer, uh, the three things that I would do is one, figure out what I'm doing with my student loans. And I think that every resident should sign up for public service loan forgiveness, regardless of what you plan to do later in life, because the program is free and it gives you at least one potential avenue to get your student loans forgiven. So I would figure out what you're doing with your student loans. Make sure you choose the right um, plan. That's number one. Number two is <clears throat> I think that you should create a budget and hopefully try to um, get rid of any credit card that you have. I know that moving can be challenging. Um, it's not free. It's not cheap, right? When you are moving from one state to another, one part of the country to another, you've got a lot of expenses. You need a down payment on an apartment. You need to hire movers. You might need to buy new furniture. You have startup fees. Maybe you don't get paid. Um, as a resident until the end of July. So you need money to make ends meet. Um, and so being able to figure out 
how you're going to pay for those things. And if you end up taking out credit card debt, if you end up getting a personal loan, just finding out a way and as a resident to pay that off, um, I think is key. And the third thing I would say is start investing. The best thing that you have in terms of investing is time. And you may think that, oh, I don't have that much money. It's not going to make a dent. Time is the biggest factor because you've got this thing called compound interest working in your favor. And I know that investing can be complicated. A lot of us are like, oh my goodness, where do I start? I don't have time to read the Wall Street Journal. Do I buy Apple, Tesla, and Google shares? Like, what the heck do I do? And um, <laughs> a lot of us have other things to do with our time rather than, you know, read, you know, finance articles all day. And so I tell folks to start off with index investing for the most part. And index investing is instead of buying one share of one company, so one share of Apple, one share of Google, one share of Tesla, you instead buy a small fraction of them all. And you buy that through something called an index fund. And those things are affordable. You can set it and forget it. So you can open up a brokerage account or Roth IRA or contribute money through your work um, retirement account. And you can have that money be invested in something called an index fund. And there's a bunch of different index funds. And you know you can look on the blog and you can find all kinds of ways. I, I'm very transparent. So I talk about how I invest my money, which index funds I choose. Um, but I would say start investing. And you know it doesn't have to be complicated. Just pick a couple index funds, invest in all of the stocks. Um, Um, set it and forget it. Fantastic. Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the work that you're doing to improve financial literacy, especially within this uh, group of young healthcare professionals. Please go check out her blog page, careermoneymoves.com. We'll put links in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram. The Instagram account is at careermoneymoves as well. And again, we'll put all the information below. Uh, We'll include some of the links to the articles she mentioned as well. Dr. Taylor, best of luck as you proceed on the fellowship. And thank you so much for joining us because representation matters. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. If you enjoy listening, tell a friend about the show or share a link on social media. We are a small team and can use all the help we can get. You can reach us at the Black Doctors Podcast on Instagram or at Stephen Bradley MD on Twitter or Instagram. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast because representation matters.